of Galatians, chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. There are some in the back. If you don't have a Bible at all, take one of those, a gift to you. We'll also show verses on the screen here to my right. Galatians, chapter 2. We're in a little series recognizing the 500th anniversary of Martin Luther nailing his 95 Theses, an event that, that sparked, if you will, what we call the Protestant Reformation today. And so we've been seeing some, some key truths that were recovered through that time. Not discovered, but recovered. And last week we talked about grace alone, as it's called. Grace alone and Christ alone. And there is a book that we have. It's entitled Favor by Greg Gilbert. We have five copies for sale. They're $10 each. It's a steal. That's just what they, I think they cost us $10.25 or something like that. So, um, this, this book is a book that will help you live in the good of God's favor or grace every day. And so I'd encourage you to pick up one later or get one online, Favor by Greg Gilbert. This week, we're going to look at the principle or the truth of faith alone. Faith alone in Christ alone. I will begin reading in Galatians chapter 2, verse 11. Please hear the word of God. Through the Apostle Paul. But when Cephas, or Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Well, may God use and bless his word to our hearts and minds this morning. This passage really captures, I think what you could say was the the core of the Reformation. We talked about scripture alone in that principle two weeks ago, and that, that was vital. That certainly defined what should be the authority for us in wrestling through these kinds of issues. But this issue, this really, this really could be the core issue, what's called justification. The reformer John Calvin, he called justification the main hinge on which religion turns. The main hinge. Luther himself said that justification is the article on which the church stands or falls. He actually said later on in describing his personal experience with it, he called it the very gate of paradise. Don't you love that? Now, how could they say such things? 
that just hyperbole? Is that exaggeration for effect? Why is this one truth, the, the main hinge on which religion turns? Why is this one truth, the article on which the church stands or falls? Why can this one truth be for you and me? The very gate of paradise. Well, let's see three things about it. Three things that I hope God uses in your life and mine that it might be a gate of paradise every day. Here's the first thing. I want to see with you first the nature of justification. The nature, first, of justification. In Galatians 2, the Apostle Paul here is confronting the Apostle Peter because Peter had been eating with Gentile or non-Jewish believers in Jesus. But when certain men came, Peter, Peter withdrew. And that was kind of scandalous. Paul calls it hypocrisy. Peter had been implying fellowship in Jesus together and now implying uh, we got a problem between us. And so Paul confronts Peter. It's a little hard to know exactly where his confrontation ends and where he comments on it. But let's read here and look at with me again in verses 15 and 16. He sort of sums up and says, We ourselves are Jews by birth, not Gentile sinners. Yet we know, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified, justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. I'm going to focus really on that one verse primarily. And did you notice three times in that verse, three times the word justified comes up, three times one verse? What does it mean? Well, it's it's a word really borrowed from the law courts or a law setting that literally means counted righteous or to count righteous. It's kind of this courtroom flavor in which one is declared righteous by a judge. So imagine a courtroom scene, but we are the defendants. And the holy God of the universe is the judge to whom we have to give an account. And if you're, making, if you're connecting the dots, that's a problem. <laughs> the prophet Isaiah thought it was a problem. He was probably the, arguably one of the most morally upstanding people of his day. But in a vision, he came face to face with this holy God of the universe And he said, woe is me, I am lost, my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts, I am undone, I am coming apart. So if that was Isaiah's perspective, how can Tab Trainer, and how can you, how can we be put in right standing in the courtroom of such a holy God? Well, the answer is justification. Justification has a has a negative side to it, and it has a positive side. It involves taking something away and crediting something to you. And you see both sides, negative and positive, in another passage in Romans chapter 4. We're going to project that for you. The question here is, how did the father of the Jewish people, Abraham, how was he justified? So track with me and see the negative and positive sides here. For if Abraham was justified by works or counted righteous by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Key question. 
Abraham believed God, and notice, it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is, notice, counted as righteousness. Just as David, also speaking of the blessings of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works, David also wrote, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count not count his sin. So the apostles referencing Genesis 15 and Psalm 32, and he shows justification's negative side. Did you catch it? Guilt removed. Lawless deeds forgiven. Sin covered. Guilt taken away. And then the positive side, counting to you perfect moral righteousness or perfect moral standing before God. Some have have defined justification as just as if I never sinned. And there's truth there, but it doesn't go far enough. This is not just putting you in kind of a neutral status before God. And now you've got to work really hard to maintain that status and, and tend to it and keep it going. This is guilt taken away, sins forgiven, and then God counts you as having righteous, a righteous standing, as it were, before him. So you should ask, how is that possible in such a courtroom? Well, you need to realize the ground of justification. Secondly, the ground. The ground of justification. Three times, three times in verse 16, we're told what the ground is not, Right? Not by works of the law. You hear that refrain in Paul here. And you just got to feel that, friends. Not by works of God's moral law and by implication. No good work you can do is going to put you in right standing with God. And friends, no good work you can do is going to keep you in right standing with God. So what will What could possibly be the ground of this declaration of righteousness? Answer, only the righteousness of Jesus Christ. As he said in verse 16, we have believed in Christ Jesus. Jesus' righteousness, catch this, Jesus' righteousness is the ground for you to be counted righteous before God. You see this, I think, plainly in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 21. Here the Apostle Paul writes, For our sake, He, God the Father, made Him, God the Son, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in Him, in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. Just unpack that a little bit. It's saying Jesus knew no sin. So perfectly obedient, 24-7, 365 days a year throughout the entirety of his life. Never a blemish on his record. He was perfectly righteous before God, but he was made to be sin for us. Our guilt was thought of by God as belonging to his son as he hung on the cross. So that in him, in Christ, 
we might become the righteousness of God. It's kind of like an accounting transaction, but it's got two parts to it. It's like a two-way accounting transaction. If you're a Christian, God took all of your liabilities, all of your sin, all you've done wrong, and He credited that to Christ's account. Your sin was thought of by God as belonging to Christ. And then all of Christ's assets, His his perfect obedience, His perfect righteousness was credited to your account. God thinks of the perfect obedience of His Son as belonging to you. And friends, when God thinks of you that way, that's how you are before Him. So justification here is not, just to be clear, it's not an infusion of righteousness into your soul. This is part of where, this is part of where in the Reformation, Roman Catholics and Protestants disagreed or diverged in their theologies. Justification not being an infusion into your soul, not an inner transformation. That's what we call sanctification. We must always distinguish between justification and sanctification. They always happen together, but they are distinct. Sanctification, as I'm using the term, is a lifelong incremental process of becoming conformed to the image of Jesus. Justification is not a process. Justification is an instantaneous declaration over your life. It's a legal verdict. Listen to this. It is the legal verdict of the last day brought into the present and declared over your life righteous with the righteousness of my son. But then we should ask, how in the world can that happen? How can this happen for us? How can we be credited with Christ's righteousness? Well, thirdly, we must keep in mind the means or the instrument of justification. The means or the instrument. What is the, what is the instrument by which we receive this legal declaration of righteousness before God himself? The answer is crystal clear, isn't it? In verse 16. Look at it again. Verse 16. We know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but notice, by faith... By faith in Christ Jesus, in case we we missed it the first time. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, one more time, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law. So three times we're told, faith, faith is the means. Faith is the instrument by which we are justified. It's It's not faith in faith here. It's not if you're a person of faith, of any kind, you have any kind of claim of faith, you're declared righteous. It's not faith in faith. It's not even about the strength of your faith that justifies. It's not about if you walked in today feeling like really strong in your faith or hanging on by your fingernails. The key here is the object of your faith. Justifying faith, friends, it looks away from itself. To the all-sufficiency of Christ. Justifying faith trusts in and relies on the obedience of Jesus and not our own. Justifying faith is is an open-handed receiving from God. 
of what Christ has accomplished, his life and death and resurrection. I think the hymn, Rock of Ages, has a pretty good picture of this justifying faith. It says, nothing in my hand I bring. Catch that word, nothing. Nothing. Nothing means nothing, right? Nothing in my hand do I bring. Simply to your cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress. Helpless look to thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. Do you hear that open-handed receiving of what Christ has done? I just cling to your cross. It's my only hope. It's, it's the faith we see in Luke 23. When two criminals are crucified on either side of Jesus as he was crucified. And one of the criminals says to Jesus, you know, if you really are who you say you are, why don't you save yourself and save us, by the way? And the other criminal says, shut up. We're getting what we deserve. This man has done nothing wrong. And then he turns to Jesus and he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replies, I'm sorry, you haven't done enough good works. And you certainly aren't going to start now. What does he say? Today, you're going to be with me in paradise. Today. Not on the basis of his own righteousness. The guy admits that. He has none. I'm being crucified rightly. What was he doing? He was looking away from himself and relying on Jesus Christ. That's justifying faith. That's how we are justified. By faith alone. In Christ alone. Now, an objection could be raised. A good objection that says... Tab James chapter 2. Tab James chapter 2 says we are not justified by faith alone. So here is what James writes in James chapter 2. Was not, was not Abraham, here he is again, our father justified, counted righteous, perhaps you could say here, but I, I think he's using the term differently, justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar. You see that faith... Faith was active along with his works. And faith was hmm, completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. That kind of sounds like there's just completely destroys our sermon title. It seems like an obvious contradiction between what the Apostle Paul said in Romans 4 and what James is saying here. But listen, it's only a contradiction if both Paul and James are using these terms in exactly the same way. Then it is a contradiction. But I would say I don't think they are using these terms, justified or faith, in the same way. Wait, let me try to briefly explain that. In, in Romans 4, Paul appeals to Genesis 15, when Abraham first believed God's promises and it was counted to Abraham as righteousness. James references Genesis 22. Seven chapters later in Abraham's life, when Abraham offered up his son Isaac in obedience to God's command. So catch this. 
James is not thinking of when Abraham first believed. James is thinking of when Abraham's faith was seen, made visible, acted upon in what he did. Do you catch the distinction? James is emphasizing that outward works confirm an inward faith. And Paul would agree. We saw that last week in Ephesians 2.10. We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. The reality is there's not a conflict here. They are addressing different errors. Paul is addressing the error that says we are justified by some works of ours. And he says, no, the means is faith alone. James is addressing the error that says, if you have faith, it don't matter how you live. James says, no, genuine faith will result in some concrete actions, a transformed life. They are two complementary truths that we must keep together. In fact, Martin Luther did a nice job of doing so. He, some, I believe he's credited with this phrase, which says, we are justified by faith alone, but not by a faith that is alone. That's helpful to remember. We are justified by faith alone, but that justifying faith is not alone. It results in transformation in our lives. So we should ask, why, why does all this matter? Why does all this matter? Well, there is a lot we could say, but let me highlight two ways, two, two ways in which this matters a lot. It matters in your relationship with God, first of all, in how you relate to God. And I would sum up the difference this makes in one word, the word Assurance. Assurance. What the reformers recovered should produce a wonderful assurance in your soul. See, in in Galatians, in the book of Galatians, kind of the context here is Paul is addressing false teachers. And these false teachers were not saying, they were not saying, go find another savior. Jesus won't cut it. That's not what they were saying. They were saying having faith in Jesus is a really good start. But you've got to contribute to that. You've got to contribute some of your own works of the law to Jesus' work. So it's faith in Jesus plus what you do that justifies. And you know, all of us are tempted to make the same mistake, aren't we? All of us are tempted to do what Sinclair Ferguson says, and that is to smuggle character into God's work of grace. Friend, you're probably tempted to do that every single day. Smuggle character into God's work of grace. We are character smugglers, me and you. We want to smuggle in character. We want to smuggle in some contribution of my own into this standing before God in Christ. It might be a very good thing. It might be a great practice. I, here's what I do. I suddenly start to think that my standing before God either is improved or maintained when I have my quiet time. And I think that's a great practice. But I feel more confident before God when I've prayed a certain amount or I've read a certain amount in the Bible. Can you relate to that? What am I doing in those times? Smuggling in some character 
into God's work of grace. You know, Jesus told a, a wonderful parable to those who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. It's in Luke 18. It's two guys who go to the temple to pray. One of them is a Pharisee, a religious separatist. And the Pharisee prays like this. He says, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. And friends, anytime you pray like that, just, may, just be like a flashing red light to you. You know what I'm saying? Just a word to the wise. God, I thank you I'm not like him or her sitting by me. Good grief. That's just a warning sign. God, I thank you I'm not like other men. Extortioners, unjust, adulterers, even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I get. So I've got the moral law going on. I, I am keeping God's commandments. My spiritual resume is looking good. And then the, the spiritually dirty tax collector, he just prays, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And then Jesus says something that would have rocked his religious world. He says, this man, the tax collector went down to his house justified and not the other guy. So only one went home justified that day. It was not the guy with the impressive religious resume. It was the one who looked away from himself and said, God, be merciful to me. And friends, seeing that and living like that before God can produce great assurance for your soul. We can easily, can we not, make the mistake of the Pharisee and, and live the Christian life like I constantly need to add to my spiritual resume before God. For my standing before God. Look, God, I put money in the offering box. Look, God, I gave to the youth retreat offering. Look, I wasn't angry with my kids this week. Look, I am loving my spouse more. I didn't waste time at work. I did all my homework. All good things. But then we think, so now I can draw near to you. Now I feel more confident before you. Now you will answer my prayers. Now you must fix my marriage. Now I'll surely get a new job. Are you friends? Are you trying to do that yourself? We're saying, look at my spiritual resume. When God says, there's only one resume I'm impressed with. On the flip side, on the flip side, we can think our failures diminish our standing before God. On the one hand, we're trying to add to the work of Christ. On the other hand, we're thinking we're somehow detracting from the work of Christ. I can also think my standing before God diminishes when I don't pray enough or maybe don't pray at all someday. We think we have forfeited some standing before God. When we fail, do you ever find that for yourself? You sin again in a certain area. Maybe it's been a long struggle for you. And now you think, ah, shoot, can't draw near to God for a while. Well, maybe after some spiritual probation, maybe after some self-flagellation, maybe after a time of penance for my sin, but, but not right now. Or you feel, you feel condemned, though you are a Christian. You've sinned against your friend, you hurt your spouse, you're angry with your children, and that, that paralyzing sense of guilt comes, and you just feel hopeless. 
Is that you this morning? Do you feel like your spiritual resume has just been put in the shredder? So there is, there is a tension in the Christian life. Luther had a Latin phrase that basically, basically means we are simultaneously just and sinner. Welcome to the tension. You are simultaneously declared righteous and not righteous in yourself. So you need to ask, where is my assurance going to come from? Where are you going to get it? It comes from knowing on whose resume you must rely every day. Justification by faith alone assures you that you get to live depending on Jesus' obedience and not your own. That means you cannot add to his record of obedience, nor should you try, nor can you detract from his record of obedience. You stand assured before God if you're in him. Brian Chapel, in his book, uh, Holiness by Grace, has a nice illustration of this. He says the believer, the believer looks up to God with kind of a two-sided mirror. Imagine, imagine a two-sided mirror above my head. And we look up and we see the mirror reflecting back the image of ourselves. And we see ourselves as we really are, a, a flawed sinner, someone who sins. But God is looking down at us on the other side of this double-sided mirror. And what he's seeing reflected back to him is the image of his son. And what he says is we need to learn to view ourselves like God views ourselves in Christ. So that every day we do what the tax collector did. And every day we do what the thief on the cross did. We look away from ourselves for our standing before God to him, to Jesus. Every day we say nothing. I have nothing in my hand. I'm clinging to your cross. Every day we do what we sang. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt with him. Upward I look, right? Upward I look and see him there who made an end of all my sin. And then you have assurance before your God. So it makes a huge difference vertically in how you relate to God. And secondly, briefly, justification by faith, it makes a huge difference horizontally in how you relate to others. Horizontally. And the word I think I'd use to describe this would be the word identity. Identity. We all can live our lives with a case of identity amnesia. We forget who we are in Christ. We start to think of our identity as rooted in our performance. And so who we are gets rooted in how we're doing. In my life, the fear of man works this way. The craving for approval. How I peer in your eyes. How is this sermon, quote unquote, going? What are they thinking of me? It becomes this constant insecurity because the idol for approval is never satisfied. I think teenagers, you can be, you can be tempted this way, can you not? I think a, a social media righteousness can start to define you. A social media righteousness instead of a Jesus righteousness. 
How many followers do I have on Instagram? Do I have any? Is anyone else following me? How many friends do I have on, on Facebook? Or, or more so, everyone else's life looks perfect on Facebook, perfect on Instagram, perfect on Snapchat, and that's not how I feel. And studies have shown, I read recently, that this is a real temptation for young people toward depression because you think everyone else's life is perfect and yours, yours is not. Do you see the amnesia? It's forgetting who you are in Christ. Justification enables you to think like Pinocchio. Probably never thought you'd hear that. <laughs> Pinocchio said to his maker, Geppetto, Papa, I am not sure who I am. But if I'm all right with you, then I guess I'm all right. If Jesus is your righteousness, you are more than all right with God. And then you can be all right with you. Justification lets you live before others with Jesus defining your identity, that he is your righteousness. And that frees you as well, friends. That frees you to relate to others differently. You think of yourself differently and you relate to others differently. Don't we all, maybe I'm the only one, expect some degree of perfection from other people as they relate to us? I want some degree of perfection as I relate to my spouse or, or my children or my friends. I mean, I know you're imperfect. Just don't be imperfect when you relate to me. It just, it just bugs me, it tempts me. And when you relate to me, I expect some perfection from you. I have this expectation for you. And you have to step back from that and say, what is that? Well, it really is self-righteousness. And instead, we want to have those relationships flavored with how God relates to us. I think John Piper puts this well in his book, Counted Righteous. He says the following. He says, it is possible. Follow this. It is possible for Christ's sake. To say, quote, I will no longer think merely, an important word, I will no longer think merely in terms of whether my expectations are met in practice. I will, for Christ's sake, regard my wife or husband or roommate or friend the way God regards me. Notice, complete and accepted in Christ's. I'm not saying ignore serious shortcomings. I'm saying make sure the way you relate to others is defined by and shaped by how God relates to you. Isn't this the way out of bitterness, unforgiveness, sinful anger, relational withdrawal because of what they said or did or didn't do? When your roommate or spouse or parents or kids or friends fail you, and they will, you can relate to them in a way that reflects how God relates to you upon the identity of another. Oh, friends, so much we could say. But I hope, I hope you're seeing I hope you're seeing a little more of how justification by faith alone in Christ alone really is the, 
the main hinge on which religion turns. It really is the article upon which the church stands or falls and really can be, for you and me, the very gate of paradise. Listen, just listen to the words of verse 16 again as I read them to you. God says, We know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ, through faith in the risen Son of God. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified, counted righteous before God by faith. I want to ask the ushers if they would be preparing to serve us the Lord's Supper because we want to celebrate, friends, celebrate this good news and ask the Holy Spirit to use the bread and the cup to give us communion with, fellowship with the risen Jesus and to assure our souls before God and to remind us of what our identity really is in Christ, that Jesus alone is our righteousness. Now, if you're here this morning, if you've not, you've not yet trusted Jesus Christ, thank you for being here. Thank you for joining us. We are so, so glad you are here. You're in the right place. And I think, I think this is a, a message God wanted you to hear. He wants you to hear that your sins can be taken away. He wants you to hear that the guilt that burdens your soul can be removed. He wants you to hear that the perfect Obedience of God the Son can be credited to your account, if you will, but turn from going your own way and trust in, rely on Jesus Christ alone. I want to I urge you to do that, friend. There, there, is a, there is a courtroom that we'll all face, a courtroom of the holy judge of the universe, but he wants that time to be an experience of you worshiping with joy. And not hearing eternal condemnation as your sentence. God in his love sent his son. That you might be reconciled to him. I urge you to come to him believing. The supper is for those who have already believed. But would you then pass the trays down the aisle. And consider what you're passing. Consider Jesus Christ. And what he's done for you. For the rest as you take the Lord's supper. Take the bread, take the cup, please hang on to both. We'll take them together. But be intentional, friend, to consider what Christ has done and let the Holy Spirit assure your soul before him. Would the music team and the ushers please come?